those who say that they know Him must walk as He walked. Those who worship the Lord worship in spirit and truth. Those who say that they know Him must walk as He walked. He is the way and the truth, and in Him. obey his word then we walk in the light he is the way and the truth and in him is the life if we obey his word then we walk in the light if we say that we don't keep his word then we walk in the darkness and the truth's not in us if we walk in the light we will have fellowship sweet and the blood of jesus will cleanse us from sin he is the wanted to say, go ahead, Fran. Well, good morning, folks. It is Thursday morning already. Hard to believe that we are already at Thursday. This week has been flying right by uh, so very, very quickly and uh, glad to spend it with you. I was just thinking as you were logging in, those that are the uh, early morning uh, listeners that have been doing this now for the last few years uh, about your commitment. There are no, there are no bells and whistles uh, to this uh, broadcast, none whatsoever. And um, uh, yeah, okay, I've got a few different camera views. I've got this fancy schmancy uh, daily discipleship podcast uh, cartoon uh, that Jacob created for me. Um, I am not a GQ cover model or anything like that whatsoever. And this is just simple, straightforward, 
uh, and you guys have stuck with me. And I was thinking about the commitment to, to be up and uh, ready to go, uh, jockeying for first position, uh, as it were, to uh, to see who would who would get in first. And uh, I just want to let you know uh, how blessed I am in your commitment, because we just study the Word of God and. Sometimes I go, um, uh, sometimes I have brain freezes and I just have to pause because the brain just kind of stops. Or I get distracted by the comments over here, like uh, Ola from uh, Catskill, New York. Uh, good morning to you, Priscilla and Steve and Sadie, uh, as you travel, make your way home. Uh, I get distracted sometimes by those things, but those of you who keep listening or who have kept listening for the last couple of years have hung in there for the last, you know, two, two and a half. In fact, I don't think you're hanging there. I think you enjoy this. And uh, so I just want to thank you for, <clears throat> for what you're doing there and uh, such a blessing. So uh, here locally, uh, we are doing trunk or treat again. You uh, perhaps have seen this. I want you to pray for the event. Uh, we need all hands on deck, really. And uh, we need folks uh, doing trunks, absolutely. Uh, we need folks, and there, there is quite a sign-up list already of folks helping with food, but but uh, because of the nature of how we do it, we usually have it over at the school across the parking lot from uh, our church. That means things have to get carried from the from the kitchen over there and whatnot. So we need carriers. Uh, we need people who will help set up early, uh, like at 3 in the afternoon or just as soon as the school will let us on the grounds. Uh, and then people staying afterwards or coming at the conclusion of the event to help, uh, help park cars. Not park cars, no, sorry, <laughs> I mixed two things together. Help put things away, help pick up, tidy up, clean up, make sure the school grounds are good and copacetic to go. And um, and then also people helping uh, with parking cars. Uh, usually there are lots of people because other groups have begun doing trunk or treats that, um, that we kind of were the first ones in the area to do uh, that maybe takes off a little bit of the pressure uh, in terms of the numbers of people, but we love seeing the numbers of people and, uh, we should pray that we would get back to the numbers of people, uh, that we had, uh, pre COVID, uh, and, uh, where you're, you know, easily between 1500 and a couple thousand people. And so, um, and pray also that we'd have the opportunity to, uh, interact with people, uh, and, uh, share the gospel with people, rub shoulders with people, uh, be friendly in the neighborhood, but but ultimately we want to make Christ known. So I just give that little plug out there this morning and uh, that you would be thinking about that, praying for that. <clears throat> Get a little frog in my throat here this morning. Sorry about that. We're going to pick up in John chapter 5. Uh, there was a little bit more I, I may have pulled out yesterday from uh, Jesus and what they were doing. Uh, but I'm going to move on into John chapter five, kind of the next thing up. And this is entitled Sabbath controversies. And the reason for that is the things that Jesus will do uh, in, in these Jesus and his disciples will do in, in these preceding verses uh, or these verses that follow the coming verses 
um, really does stir up some controversy about what is acceptable and not acceptable to do uh, on Shabbat, on Sabbath. And uh, so let's jump in here and see what we find. It says, Sometimes, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Uh, there were various appointed feasts. Some think that this was probably the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a feast yet coming here uh, this fall. Just come through Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which was Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, and the next feast is the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. I have to say Booths so precisely because otherwise it sounds like the Feast of Booze and you're going to have a whole bunch of micro craft beer people there. Booths. I said that one time. I said boo- Booths and someone thought it literally, literally they thought I said booze and, and no most likely the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus uh, is in town for. Verse 1. Now, verse 2 says, there. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, or Bethesda, sorry. There's Bethsaida and Bethesda. This is Bethesda, uh, and which is surrounded by five color uh, covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and written into the text, as you see it kind of grayed here, and they waited for the moving waters, and from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, the first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Now, the fact that people used to go out and lie by the waters as they did is an indicator that perhaps this is the very thing that happened, that uh, that maybe the waters were stirred. Now, it's put in gray because the, the most reliable, the oldest, uh, the most numeric, highest numbering uh, manuscripts do not include these verses. That is why in uh, you would read it in gray here uh, and in a parenthetical uh, in the text is because it wasn't in the oldest and more, most reliable manuscript. So it could be subject to question. It isn't an issue of, well, did they not believe these things happen? It just has to do with manuscript count uh, and age of manuscripts and things like that that help determine what fit and what didn't fit in certain portions of uh, of the Gospels. People went there. This is true. That That is a fact. Uh John 5, 3 says here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, it was near the, the sheep gate, uh, and it was a pool. Uh, Bethesda, which is surrounded by the five colored colonnades. Um, that was the location. Verse 5 goes on and tells us this. It says, one was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? So now we see Jesus speaking to this person. Uh, 
and we see Jesus perhaps asking questions because it says when he saw him lying there and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? So someone said, yeah, uh, you know, he's, he's been this way his whole life. Uh, he was probably maybe 38 years of age. And so uh, he gets this question from Jesus. Do you want to get well? Well, what are you going to say? I mean, why are you lying out by this uh, pool anyway? Why are you at Bethesda? Uh, that's the question at hand. I'm looking up something. Just looking up the word Bethesda, uh, it could mean house of mercy, pool of uh, mercy. Uh, the pool of Bethesda is a pool known where he healed this paralyzed man. Uh, and it was it was down in these covered colonnades. I'm going to see if I can drag this over and show you. Uh, here we go. What this may have looked like. Now, this, this obviously is a... Uh, modern rendition. This used to be a lovely place. In fact, I've actually uh, toured down through here virtually one time, but uh, you can see that the colonnades, they're covered. There was a pool down here. Uh, this is adjacent to the site of, of the Pool of Bethesda, which which is uh, down in here, if you can see where my where my arrow is. And people would go down in there. They would lie. They they would uh, they would want to uh, they would want to be healed of their illnesses, of their diseases. Uh, and so Jesus, I've covered all that. You get the point. People are there. People are waiting. People are wanting something supernatural to happen. Uh, they believe it's the waters that will heal them. And, and perhaps there was something that happened. I, I'm not going to. Uh, debate there was or wasn't perhaps the fact that people went there there must have been something unique and unusual about those particular waters in that particular location that people believe that they would be healed otherwise people wouldn't go there and wait to get into those waters something significant did happen there but jesus comes along and says to this man do you want to get well and to which the man says uh i've been uh Invalid for, th sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Um, and Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, this is a couple different times that Jesus has said this. Jesus said this on, on the occasion that we looked at earlier where the, the people let their friend down through the roof. And now he's saying to another invalid, take up your mat and walk. So the man did. Verse 9 says, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Uh, the day on which this took place was a Shabbat, was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, think about this. 
this man has just been healed. He has been invalid for 38 years, maybe maybe invalid from birth. We, we, we don't know, but just for a very long time. And now he has found his footing. Now he has found his steps. Now he has the ability to walk and to run and to leap and to jump. And the man who did this for him told him to roll his mat up, pick it up, and go home. What would you do? Uh, I would be listening to the man who healed me. He would have the greater influence on me uh, than than the people who surrounded me. It's Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Your mat they told him. Verse 11 goes on and says, says this, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Of course, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the one who told you? Uh, the, these Jewish leaders, uh, these Jewish uh, law abiders who are surrounding you had, hadn't even helped you get into the water. The story tells uh, speaks to the fact that the man had not... Uh, anyone to help him get into the water. So these Jews that were around him for, for all these different uh, occasions when he came to the water, wanting to get into the water, wanting the healing, no one helped him. So not only you know were they unable, they, they didn't heal him, they didn't even help him get into the water. They, they probably ridiculed him. They probably mocked him. They probably looked down on him. They probably jeered at him. And here comes Jesus and says, do you want to get well? And Jesus just says to him, get up pick up your mat and walk, uh, and the man felt something in his tootsies. He felt something in his heels. He was able to feel his legs. Maybe you don't know how this happened, how this came over him, but he could bend his legs. He could move his legs. They they, they responded to the, man, to, to, the, uh, to the commands and the demands of the brain, and uh, he walks. Absolutely incredible. But they're worried about the Sabbath. They're not worried about the fact that the man was healed. They're not worried about the fact, the fact that the man who had been this way for so many years is now able to walk. They're worried about him carrying his mat. Verse 11 says, he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. It says, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Now, the fact he says well again, maybe there's an implication that maybe he had been well uh, and lost his ability to walk, but is well again. There's an implication of that. We don't know. But then Jesus says something more. He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You, you see what he says. See, Jesus, in, in our modern friendly culture in society, we want the, the nice words of Jesus. We want the tender words of Jesus. Uh, we, we want the words of Jesus that just say, get up, pick up your mat and walk. We don't like the words that say stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We, we kind of revolt at those words being spoken to us because we don't like to hear them. 
Yet that is also the message, the message of Jesus. Yes, he can heal people. Yes, uh, he can help people to walk and to see and to hear and be healed of cancer and and all of these different things. He is able to heal somebody who's been in, in, in a uh, incredible, devastating uh, crash and now has a, a traumatic brain injury. God is able to heal. Jesus is able to heal. And we like the good stuff like this. But often we stop short of the next thing that Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, Jesus knew the particular sins of this man. We don't know We don't know what the, this man's sins were, but you know what your sins are. I know what my sins are. I know the things that I do that go against the, the heart of God. And, and so Jesus speaks the words to us, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The words of Jesus. We're called to a life of holiness. We are called to a life of pursuing after God. We are called to a life of work for the kingdom. We are called to uh, to sow for the kingdom, to invest for the kingdom, to serve for the kingdom, to speak for the kingdom, and to find ourselves wrapped up in the things of God, to find ourselves wrapped up in the word of God. That is where we are, and that is what we're called to, and we're called to live the life of God. We're called to become like Christ. Again, the modern culture in in progressive Christianity doesn't like to hear this part of the message. God is for you. God wants to make you healed. God is your way maker. Now, I, I don't disagree with that statement, but but the other part of the message is he's your way maker and he wants you to stop sinning. That, that is the other part of the message that is here. So the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. Now, here he calls God his father. Here he calls God uh, himself equal with God. He says, my father is always working to this very day, and I too am working. He is part of the triune Godhead. Uh, he is not a Jesus-come-lately person. He, he is a person of the triune Godhead. In fact, other places that we have studied Along the way, we know that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. We read that in Colossians, the first chapter. We read it in Hebrews, the first chapter. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. We read in John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. That is the logos with God. And here Jesus saying, my father has always had his work. Now, we know that on the seventh day, God rested from his creative work. However, God must have also continued on that seventh day his sustaining work because we are told that he holds all things together. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And, and so Jesus saying that my father has always had his work, it isn't like God gets tired and needs a nap. It isn't like God is is not every day looking down upon humankind and meeting needs. It isn't that 
that God every day isn't keeping the planets uh, in their orbits uh, and spinning on their axes. God is always at his work, and Jesus is saying, I am always at my work too. But they were mad. They persecuted him. We, we read this. that They persecuted him because he did these things on the Sabbath. He did a good thing on the Sabbath. Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day. Um, and then verse 18 says, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but is even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews absolutely hated this. So Jesus gave them an answer. He said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He, he can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Speaking about how uh, intimately engaged they are because the two are one. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. And yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And I have to ask you, do you have that life? Has God given you the life? Has Jesus given you the life? Do you have new life? Are you born again? Do you know you are a child of God? Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? I hope so. Verse 22, moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So, so here we even read Jesus as the judge. There are many places that we look at, uh, and we understand that, that Jesus uh, is also the judge. We know this to be true, and yet in our modern society, in modern culture, we don't like to think of Jesus as judge. There is coming a day when he will judge, and, and we will stand before him, and we will give an account. Uh, believers will give an account. Non-believers will give an account. All will give an account. There are two different judgments. There's what's called the Bema Seat of Christ. You read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the judgment seat of Christ, where he will judge believers. And yes, we will make the cut of heaven because of our legitimate faith in Jesus Christ. However, we might suffer lots of rewards because although we may have been saved, we may have given most of our energy and most of our life to our own glory and not to the glory of God and the work of the kingdom. Uh, and I'm not saying you should pack up and go to a monastery or become a nun or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But but as we live our lives or we're living for the glory of Christ, there is that judgment. The, the believers who will go before and, yes, will be judged on our bad works, but also judged on, on our failure to do good works. Uh, and hopefully for many of us, the judgment will be, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, welcome home, you did a good job, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, we say that oftentimes at people's funerals, but can we really say it? You know, uh, I hope so. I hope that, that, that those will be the words that I hear at the end of my life or at that time of the judgment seat of Christ. The second judgment is called the what the great white throne judgment at the end of time when, when everyone is judged, those who 
uh, are judged as being in Christ, judged on into eternal life, uh, the new heavens, the new earth. Those who uh, have rejected Jesus will be judged on into eternal condemnation. And Jesus is the judge. It tells us right here. Moreover, the Father judges no one. He's entrusted all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, this, this really is speaking strongly to the Jews who had questioned him, uh, and they're becoming even more incensed. And he says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So crossed over from death to life. We we were walking dead men. You, you, you know, one of the popular television series is The Walking Dead. I never understood why that was so popular. Watch a bunch of zombie-type people walking around, and you kill them, if, however you kill them, before they kill you uh, or before they infect you and make you a walking dead. And and in some ways, that, that television series, there there's some uh, adequacy to it to kind of uh, demonstrate or illustrate a contemporary culture in that we uh, we are bitten, we are smitten by sinfulness of this world, and um, we're infected. And so we go around like walking dead men uh, because we are tainted by sinfulness. Crossed over from death to life. When we trust in Christ, we come into life. Everyone apart from Christ is a walking dead man. In Christ, we, we are now made alive. And that is the point that Jesus is making here in verse 24 when he says that this person has crossed from death to life. I tell you the truth, truth whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It tells us right there, uh, right in verse 24. Whoever believes him who sent me, hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life, will not be condemned. I just want to ask you, do you know you have eternal life? Could you say to somebody, just just say to somebody, if they if they seem to be religiously inclined or they they maybe claim to be a Christian, say, you know what, I, I know I've been born again. Uh, I, I believed in God. I believe in Jesus. Uh, I... I I know that Jesus is my Savior. I've entrusted my life to him. Tell them because you're no longer condemned, and you can say, I've crossed from death to life. Now, I want to look at the comments. There are some comments uh, up in here that, that I'm noting, uh, and I want to go back to these comments and see some of what was said here. Uh, uh, lots lots of good mornings. Uh, Yes, and, and Don did a little bit of his uh, research. Bethesda, name is derived from the biblical pool of Bethesda, which in Hebrew means house of kindness or house of mercy. Uh, it's an unincorporated area. Uh, United States Geological Survey defines it at, at this particular spot. Uh, I have a, a new book that I picked up that uh, I'm 
starting to go through. It's called I Am Israel, and it's about what is Israel. and has all kinds of pictures, and there's a video that goes with it. Maybe that could get used on one of the movie nights um, at some point down the road after the Jesus study is over, the Walk Like Jesus study is over. Um, but maybe start thinking about whether you would want to go to Israel uh, maybe in a year, see about taking a trip over there in a year. Uh, if, if you would like to go see, uh, we need to start planning for that now. Walter says, why did Jesus ask him the question that he knew was the most important thing in his life? Of course he wanted to be healed. Because I think Jesus needed to hear him say the words. I I think that's what was going on. Jesus needed to hear him say, yes, I want to be healed. Nell says, who do we listen to, God or the devil? Who do we obey? And I would throw a third in there. Sometimes the devil doesn't need a lot of help because uh, our flesh uh, can do an awful lot all on its own and doesn't need a lot of help. But that's the question. Do we listen to the flesh? Do we listen to the world? Do we listen to the devil? Or do we listen to God? That's convicting to think about. The flesh. Uh, what about our flesh and, and, and what happens to us in our flesh? And, and what about the devil? And sometimes the devil tells us negative things about ourselves. Sometimes we simply think negative things about ourselves. When, when what we need to be doing is thinking about what God's truth about us is and who we are meant to be in Christ. Uh, when we're going through a difficult time, we must remember that God is working on our behalf. He is for us, not against us. He is the victor, absolutely. Uh, and we need to remember that. The battle is the Lord's. He fights for us. Now, what, one of the things I would say about that and and I I fully concur with what is being stated, but uh, some want to lay aside the responsibility of the Christian life. Uh, some want to lay aside the holiness of the Christian life and just say God is for me. Uh, I I think of one per person in particular that comes to mind that God is for me, but yet they're living the exact opposite life of what God would publicly living the exact opposite life of what God would want them to live. God is not for them in their sin. God is not for them in that circumstance. God is not making them successful in their circumstance. Uh, that That is of the flesh. That is of the world. That is of the devil. Uh, and the devil can give what looks like success, and sometimes we'll end up calling it the blessing of God. Well, when we're doing things that are absolutely against the will of God, uh, we have to know that it is not the blessing of God. Uh, Satan can create some great counterfeits, can he not? And, and we just need to be aware of that. Let me finish out this this little segment of Scripture here. Uh, verse 25 says, I tell you the truth, time is coming, and, and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. I mean, the, the walking dead, then even later on will after the at the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, we'll, we'll read about other people being resurrected from the grave. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, so here we, we do speak some. Jesus does speak some of those who do good and those who do evil. Um, that, that does have some place in, uh, in, in the dialogue. Uh, if we are truly saved, we will do good. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't slip into evil. It doesn't mean that we don't fall down into our sinful ways. It doesn't mean that. But, but the propensity or the direction of our life is toward the good that we ought to do. It is toward the godliness in which we ought to live. Uh, our, our salvation should be evident by our actions. Uh, and again, just the word that we find here in this passage a few different times, and you go back to John chapter 3, the word was there about condemnation. We would rather prefer in modern society that the word condemnation wasn't even here in the Scripture, but it is. There are those who will be condemned. That is why it is so important that we tell the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to people so that they do not eternally perish. And that is why it is so important that we as Christians do our utmost to live the life uh, of Christ as we're called to live and to deal with our own hypocrisies and inadequacies. And, And when we mess up, we fess up and that we tell people, look, we're not perfect. I'm a sinner. I, I, I need Jesus every day. Uh, I need his forgiveness and his grace every day. And, and that's, I, I don't need to be saved every day. I, I have my salvation, but because of my salvation, I want to do the things that bring honor to Jesus. Those would be our words. That would be what we would be telling people and uh, trying to point them to Christ. Well, friends, uh, the people got all stirred up by what Jesus had to say to them. They didn't like it very much, uh, and and he continues in this chapter talking about the witness of, uh, of the Father. Verse 31, he says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. valid. You sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mentioned that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. In other words, he's saying, my witness is the Father. The Father who has sent me has testified himself concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. I do not accept praise for men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from another, from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes only from God? I mean, that's what we want is we want the praise of God even as we live our lives. We want him saying to us even in our lives, good job. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, 
on whom your hopes are set. In other words, he's saying because you you look to the law, the law accuses you, and and you put your hope in the law. When he when he speaks about the scriptures, he's speaking about only the Jewish scriptures because that's all they had at that point in time. It says if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote. How are you going to believe what I say? I mean, Jesus is just really throwing down the gauntlet here and, and, and telling them, look, you, you reject even Moses. And because you reject e- even Moses, of course you're going to reject me. And I come from the Father. He is really drawing a line in the sand. He is really delineating the difference between him and them. Uh, he is telling them that their hope is bound up in the law, but he has brought something new. The new message that, that by faith in him, by believing in him, by believing uh, that he was sent from the Father, uh, you have eternal life. Well, we'll continue this this pattern of things that Jesus did on Sabbath that just infuriated the people, and it forces a question. What is the point of Sabbath? The point of Sabbath is rest for our souls. And friends, perhaps you need rest for your soul today. That rest is found in Jesus, and he says, come to me, all you who have worked hard and are tired out, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will have rest for your souls. Lord, give us your rest today. I pray that anybody that listens to this broadcast, whether live or some other time, um, who has never trusted in Christ, will trust in Christ, that they will know that they are a child of God by faith in Jesus, that they will know that, that, that religious practices do not save, going to church does not save, but what does save is faith in Christ. Bring many to that faith, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, that is a wrap for today. I will see you tomorrow. Have a fantastic day, everyone.